This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Uh, it was a, it was a, a program jointly uh, conducted with the art department. So engineering and art has been around Stanford since 1958. But it's only recently when something happened that's changed the whole perspective, both in our industry and here at Stanford. And the move was really from, when we moved from talking about design to talking about design thinking, the way designers think and how that can lead to innovation. And as soon as we were kind of linked to innovation, um, the whole thing kind of exploded uh, and we were able to do many more things uh, that the students were interested in. Design thinking being defined in my mind as more visual, more insight-based, more kind of empathic than a lot of the other kind of thinking that we use successfully. Um, the end result was that we started to see that, that we had a role in this, all these multidisciplinary initiatives. A lot of the, one thing about this multidisciplinary uh, initiative stuff is that it's, um, it's harder than it looks. And people talk about it a lot. There's a lot of talking about it. But I've been involved in lots of them where the people get together, they talk for a while, can't see, seem to get along, and never come back to the meeting. That's the kind of feeling that it's had in the past. But I'm really pleased to say that's not what's going on at Stanford now. That people get together and see it as one of our biggest opportunities. Um, and then our role, which has been very gratifying to us, is kind of the glue. We have a methodology that's very human in this design thinking. Uh, perspective, and it seems like people from diverse backgrounds will allow us to kind of lead with our methodology. It's common sense. It's commonsensical, I guess it's probably not a word, but uh, that seems to be what's happening. We're linked with innovation, uh, we're linked with art, and we're linked uh, with this multidisciplinary approach. So as John mentioned, we had a very exciting start this year, October 3rd, to the Hassel Flattner Institute of Design. Um, We've been promised a 47,000 square foot building, but we're in a 2,800 foot trailer at the present time, but we're very happy there. Uh, and having uh, an extremely good time trying to figure out uh, what this means to do this. Um, and I guess one way to think about it is, we're trying, one of the things that's happened with design thinking is we're trying to add to our already excellence in analytical thinking. I want to make it very clear with my colleagues in the room, I'm not talk, speaking out against uh, analytical thinking or apple pie or motherhood or any of those things, because I believe very strongly in that. Um, I'm in engineering school after all. But, uh, but we believe that there's a kind of student that's craving to be a T-shaped person, someone who has analytical depth, but by raising their aptitude around this kind of design thinking, we make them into a person who can possibly innovate in many different places. So the way I kind of look at it is a simple diagram of we're going, we're doing very well at, uh, at focusing on our disciplines and you know, winning Nobel Prizes and doing all the things that uh, result in those kind of innovations. And our guess is that there are innovations between these kind of disciplines that we'll find by putting all the disciplines together and kind of um, looking for those innovations uh, in a multidisciplinary way. One of the really nice things about this is the end result is we get to work on very interesting projects. The institute is divided into kind of four labs, one on K-12 education, one on sustainability, one on developing world, and one on health and wellness. Because when you put many different 
disciplines together from around the university. Let's say you have a business person, a law person, a medical person, an education person, an engineer. Um, you can work on these kind of problems. You know, most of my life I'm a mechanical engineer. I knew the solution to all problems was a mechanism. So I've been team teaching for a long time, but they were all engineers. So I knew what the general outcome was going to be. When you put people from different, from all the different disciplines around the university, you have no idea what the outcome is going to be, and I think that's the point. So, so with my uh, five minutes, I wanted to say, um, what have we learned so far? I thought that might be interesting. We've been going for, I've been team teaching with computer science and with electrical engineering, and with, I'm sorry, with computer science and with the art department for 28 years or so, and uh, we've learned a lot, but not as much as since October the 3rd, where we really started to focus on design thinking and by putting these uh, different groups together. So just a few of the things we've learned. Um, I said it before, multidisciplinary teaching, especially for the faculty, is really difficult. Um, and so I think we have to come up with another name other than kind of multidisciplinary. Um, it just sounds too mundane, like global warming. It's gonna be much more urgent than that. And so what we're, what we're saying we're doing is a radical collaboration among faculty. Sounds, you know, it sounds more like there's some urgency. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, one of the other things we've learned is the students love to see the faculty fight. <laughs> the, lear the learning in that is tremendous. They're used to kind of a sage on stage, right? They sit there quietly, and if they're really aggressive, they might take the professor on over, you know, the, the sign of an equation or something. But the truth is that the status between the faculty and the students was uh, quite, the faculty status is much higher. As we start to lower the status between them, uh, the learning is, uh, is incredible. Um, and so, uh, picture that the faculty, it's much more transparent. The faculty, they come to our debrief sessions after, the, the, after we've given uh, a lecture, and uh, the fact that we're sort of showing them what's going on uh, has been a really strong part of the, uh, of the session. Um, one, one, I'll tell you one story because uh, I know I have a couple more minutes and I thought, uh, one story. So we have three faculty, and we always have at least three faculty, usually representing business, technology, and human values. That's our goal. And in, a, in one particular uh, session, the business school professor says, if you don't write it down, it doesn't exist. And I'm sitting there, can I deal with that? You know, I'm like trying to be quiet and, when he's lecturing. But uh, I couldn't give it up, so I had to take him on because there's all these, there's all this, there's all emotional things and intuitive things, and they're not written down. And they're very important, so we fight for a while. Students love it, and then um, the other professor, the managed professor, says, "What do you mean by exists?" <laughs> <laughs> which is a, you know, which is another fight for a long time. <laughs> and um, but eventually, in all the in all the classes we've taught so far, eventually. Uh, one of the students, one of the young students, uh, who is particularly brave, raises their hand and says the same thing every time. Who's doing the grading here? <laughs> because, because although you, although since the fourth grade at First Amsterdam, you're very good at pleasing the teacher. You don't even have to know the material; you just have to please the teacher. It's a little difficult when you got teachers, three teachers with three different points of view, trying to figure out how to do that. So, one of the first things we've learned is that the students uh, love to watch the faculty get into it. 
Um, the other thing I'd say is that the students love to, to uh, learn in the way that we're doing. All of our work is project-based, as I mentioned, on these big kind of global social problems. Um, it's all hands-on. Uh, we're building prototypes, whether it's uh, for an experience or a, or a service or a product itself. Um, and the most amazing thing happened uh, in the first time we taught the class, which I hadn't, uh, didn't, didn't count on. And that is that the students come from different disciplines. So though, although, if you're um, from computer science, uh, let's say, everybody in computer science can do fourth order differential equations in their heads. So that's not that big a deal if you're always in computer science. But when you come in a multidisciplinary group, you actually own your whole profession's knowledge. Nobody else in your group can do what you want to do. You can do. So you start to feel really good about your discipline for the first time. Instead of wondering whether you're an A minus or an A or an A plus among the other business school students or the other uh, art students, you realize that what you have is really valuable. You start to really take stock. That changes your whole perspective. A lot of, you know, like by the time they get to us, some of them are a little cynical. That kind of turns that all around because you now have, um, you now own your profession. You now are the one who can do this, uh, certain things that the others can't. And uh, this, you know, I, I don't know if you, you know, like a Maslow's hierarchy, you know, like a food and shelter, and then showing off is right above that. <laughs> And so, uh, so showing off is what they get to do, and this uh, really makes them feel great. And so I just want to close by saying how super gratifying this has been. For the students, uh, for the faculty, seeing these students learn this way, I've been around here a long time and did pretty well in my teaching, but uh, I've never received so many uh, emails from students saying, this has changed my life. You know, I can't stand sitting in my next class, I'm so excited about what we're doing in your class. Um, this is uh, incredibly gratifying for all of us in the faculty. We're keeping, we have a wall of these, uh, keeping track of these, you know, people who, uh, who really have, and the only way you can tell the ones who are going to be the most excited are the ones who in the first day have their arms like this. <laughs> those who are sure this is a bad idea, uh, those are the ones that are the most excited at the end. That's how you spot them. It's also been super gratifying for the students. We've done many projects around the world. We have people all the time in India and Burma and, and uh, Bangladesh. Uh, we're gaining, uh, looking for needs that we can solve in our class. This is the, one of my favorite uh, class projects. It's, called, it's for a company that was started here at Stanford by a team of engineers, um, uh, business school students in social science. It's called Ignite. It's trying to get rid of kerosene in India, in rural farming in India, by using a solar one watt LED solar lantern uh, that keeps you from having to have uh, kerosene at all, you leave it out all day, it charges up and then you have uh, lights in the evening for your family. So it's been incredibly gratifying for us as the faculty, although it's harder than it looks to get faculty to collaborate. I realize that the Stanford thing is kind of more like a Stanford, Stanford faculty is more like kind of a group dental practice. You, know, you kind of, there's an office next to you but you really don't know what's going on in the lot. <laughs> And so uh, we've brought those, those, uh, those people out and, and, uh, and collaborating together. They're very gratifying when it does. It's a little, it's a little hard to do, but uh, once you get the hang of it, it's uh, incredibly gratifying for both the faculty uh, and the students. So it's a really exciting time over at the old uh, House of Flatner Institute of Design. Thanks. Thank you.
tell us something about creative writing programs. Okay, well, I just want to say I'm, I'm uh, grateful to the president for the chance to come here and speak about the creative writing program. Just want to lay out a few points simply and briefly that I think are at the center of what we do. Um, in the end, a, a university uh, has the right to ask a creative writing program, what exactly do you do? What do you do in and for Stanford? Uh, and when we think about what we do, and I am director of creative writing, but this program has really six directors between myself and my colleagues. When we think about what we do, we think primarily that we stand at the entrance and in the gateway of education itself. We think of ourselves as part of the promissory note given to a Stanford student. We are somehow part of the guarantee that they will not have to give up their dreams of expression, their hopes for excellence, and their determination to put their life into language when they come into the structured environment of a university. We stand with the university, with Stanford, when we advocate to them that wherever they go, into the sciences, into mathematics, into physics, on bio, back to the humanities, wherever they go, those dreams can follow them and become actuality. We have a creative writing emphasis within the English major. We have a creative writing minor. We have the closest connections with our colleagues in the English department, wonderful chair, Ramon Soldevar. We have a flourishing, if very young, partnership with Chris Samuelson's wonderful film program taught by our Jones lecturer, Tom Keeley. We have a particularly exciting new nonfiction initiative taught by Adam Johnson, and uh, which is attracting students uh, from across the university. And we've already welcome for the student who just wants to take one workshop one time. But the truth is, in a creative writing program like our own, uh, we, we have to understand, which is the difficult part for us, what we do inside the institution and the place we have outside it. It is part of the anomaly of our situation that some of the challenges we care most about are in fact invisible to Stanford University. The Stegner Fellowship Program, which brings young writers to Stanford and shelters them for two years and brings eminent young writers requires an unusual kind of vigilance. This year we had 1,400 applications for five places in poetry and five in fiction. And we have to account for this program and this presence in every way at every level to those outside Stanford. We don't give a degree and we don't require one. This is a fellowship program. We are not in the room and we are not part of the councils by which a creative writing teacher says to some wonderful young writer who has finished their MFA in Iowa or Columbia or Hopkins, to mention a few, look, go to Stanford, apply for a Stegner. But it is in those rooms that the quality and excellence of our program is partly renewed year after year. We value the invisible, relationships with the heads of programs and the teachers of other creative writing programs across the United States, and we are honored when they advise their best students to apply for a Stegner Fellowship. And every year, through the care and the teaching we provide for the Stegners, 
and the community we seek to build, we feel we should earn that trust again, and we should always try to do so. From the Stegner Fellows, who come to Stanford, and this is where we entered the arts initiative with the undergraduate emphasis on the arts, we choose a very few of the Stegners to be Jones lecturers. Those Jones lecturers teach the creative writing workshops to undergraduates. They're all young writers, they've all published, they're all exceptional teachers. They bring into the undergraduate classroom the vivid reminder that writing is a contemporary exercise, something happening in their time and in their vernacular. The creative writing student at Stanford enters the classroom into a sense that this is not a series of just predetermined rules, but it is the sense that imagination is one of the adventures of their generation. That they are going to talk with those Jones lecturers, those young writers, their teachers, not just about a class, but about a future they can and they should participate in. For all of that, we sense a change coming. Uh, the new student in the University of today and in Stanford is different from 10 or 20 years ago. Above all, and we understand this and we honor this as part of the arts initiative, the word creativity and the word imagination, these terms are changing and broadening at Stanford just as they are doing beyond it. Ideally, the new student at Stanford will see fluid boundaries between language and music and the visual arts and the scientific community. They will not think of creativity as existing behind one set of doors and absent from another. They will not be concerned that the imaginative strengths recognized in one program or department will not be seen in another. The widening of the sense of creativity is one of the most exciting parts of the arts initiative, and we pay tribute to that. In creative writing, we will be encouraging our students to bring us news of what they find exciting and creative in other parts of the university, and we will in turn seek the bridges and the structures that turn excitement into practical links. And we do believe that part of the future of creative enterprises such as ours is in partnership across this university. We know the Arts Initiative wants to, to foster that, and we want to be part of it. But we want to offer partnership from our strengths. We will always try to know what we do, and we will always try to do what we do best. I want to finish by saying what I think exactly that is. A year or so ago, a young woman who has since graduated from Stanford came into a poetry workshop in our program and wrote a poem. It's almost an everyday experience, but it wasn't an everyday poem. Her father was in the 2nd Medical Brigade serving in Iraq. This poem is not a story of art. It is not a story of war or politics. It is, in fact, the oldest story in literature, love and distance and danger. It is about a daughter holding her father steady in her mind across an infinity of difference. It's about a young woman, a creative writing student, sitting in a Stanford workshop with our Jones lecturer, Peter Campion, himself a fine poet, feeling 
both free and safe, to put difficult fears and imaginings into language. This is what we do in creative writing. In the end, this is what we want to do, and it is here we feel we discharge our obligations to the university and its students. This is Sarah Lissabor's beautiful poem, neither comforting nor easy to listen to, just beautiful. And of course I have Sarah's permission to read it. The poem will be published this spring in an anthology by Random House called Above and Beyond. The poem is called Tucano Lissagor, Second Medical Brigade. Dirt, road, salt, snow and oil smother the underbelly of our dinosaur suburban. And Daisy the dog poured her ball under the steel carcass one more time. The frost gnaws through the knees of my jeans while I jab with a shovel at the tooth-rotten toy that soaks in a soup of slush between mud-drenched hubcaps on the snow tires you bought and suddenly I see you, 11 hours away from me, hunched over just like me. You curse under your breath, scanning beneath your Humvee for traces of a car bomb. Thank you. try to raise the visibility of the wonderful programs we have. And I think the creative writing program is such a gem. Uh, who would have guessed that the toughest program to get into at Stanford isn't the medical school, or the law school, or the business school, or the undergraduate program, but in fact, to become a fellow in the state program. Thank you. Chris. Well, um, I've actually brought a visual aid. I brought a little clip of student work with me tonight to share with you. And I thought maybe I'd start with that rather than finish with that and then tell you a little bit about both our new program, our undergraduate program, and our ongoing graduate program that's been at Stanford for over 20 years. And I've selected a very short three and a half minute set of clips from our graduate program to share with you. It's the fourth one. Four. That's what I just did. Oh, you did? <laughs> Help. He told me it was four. Um, I think that's good enough. That's good enough. Yeah, okay. Well, concession is used to eating them. And I knew exactly what they were ordering. A roast beef sandwich on dry toast, scrambled eggs with toast or something like that. I knew the Lord as soon as they walked in the door. That's where I met Freddie. He was a customer, and he used to come in like three, four times a day. Only for black coffee, because he was always on a diet, but he never lost weight. <laughs>
been looking for a couple years. I moved to the other house I was in. It wasn't real healthy for my children or myself. And so I found a trailer that I could afford. And, and you know, this was the first place that I could find. I live in a campground. <laughs> you know, 20 years, you know, I thought I was going to be moved from a cabin to a house. And then rents just started going up. The limbs of my family tree are full of irregularities. Some you laugh at, others you don't. course, 
and aesthetics courses. So far, we've offered aesthetics of editing and aesthetics of cinematography. We've offered many courses at national cinemas, such as East European cinemas, uh, topic courses such as Cinema in the City, Cinematic Spectacle. We're going to be starting with Asian cinema courses next year with a wonderful new hire. We just received um, word has accepted our offer as of last Monday. And then we require that all of our students actually take one hands-on film production, filmmaking course. And we feel that's incredibly important, um, both in terms of the major, which is a liberal arts major, not following a film school model, but also because um, everything that they do in terms of their liberal arts study will be enhanced by the fact that they've actually gotten behind a camera and had to conceptualize and visualize an idea, put it up on the screen, edit it, and go through that whole creative process, which can be um, far more um, elating and also sort of uh, frustrating than most students can possibly imagine until they do it. And so today, I guess I want to focus on the, the making side of things since we're talking about the practice of writing and the practice of art and the practice of design. Um, you know, we have a very exciting MFA program in studio art here at Stanford. It's one of the reasons our film program is so excited to be moving to art is that the, the um, kinds of interactions that will happen between those uh, programs will be really thrilling. And then within that, there will be this wonderful opportunity, this sort of seedbed of ideas and activity and ferment for the undergrads who are actually getting involved in making things and the practice of art and the practice of filmmaking and the practice of photography, which is such a, a, a different experience sometimes for students. And I think, you know, just you have only to watch students at 11.50 in the morning trying to navigate their bicycles past the clock tower as they talk on their cell phones to know how hurried we are here at Stanford and how scheduled we are. And I think that through the practice of art, you have an opportunity to just stop and to have that kind of open space, that white space, to explore very interesting and important nonverbal, intuitive, and emotional expression that, that is hard to have an outlet for in too many other forms that we have within the university. And that can be both a very solitary experience for the student in the back, you know, working on their work at that moment, but also a very intense community spirit, and that has to do with the process of critique, which is important to all of the practice of art, of the visual arts, and here at Stanford, something that we embrace. So the students are showing their work both to their classmates in an informal way, but also very much through formal class critique, getting feedback on the work. And it's interesting how that feeds their creative energies. There's something really very inspiring about that process, about actually, it's very scary, of taking your work out and showing it to people, but that feedback you get and that feedback that's offered in a supportive way can make a great difference in terms of your growth as a maker. And we find this to be a really important underpinning for our course, um, for our course of study with the students throughout all the years that they're with us. Um, in our MFA program, it's going to be a very intense two years, just as much as the studio art program is. We think also that um, it's, it's very important to remember that the practice of art is also something that requires a great deal of discipline and helps you develop discipline. There's something about making art that sounds like it will be something that's rather quick. It's not. It's slow. It's painstaking. And there are great moments and there are difficult moments. And you have to develop a approach to the work that allows you to create the space to get the work done and also to have those wonderful epiphanies and discoveries as the art starts to unfold be there. So it's very important to remember that some of the things that are happening in the arts are not just the free expression, but also some of the discipline that you bring to the art 
when you are practicing it and, and making it your own. Uh, so we feel that the community that is going to be growing at Stanford around film and media studies will be interleaved with the studio art program and with our art history program such that we will have this opportunity for this sense of interaction and, and further um, kind of excitement that will be around campus and will help feed into things like the Arts Initiative SEGA program and other visitors that we have to campus, exhibitions that we have, screenings. Um, for example, we just had the very famous Yugoslavian filmmaker Dusan Makabeya here last week. He didn't just show a film and talk, but he actually came to a film production class and spent four hours critiquing, <coughs> critiquing two student films at length. It was really exciting. And then two days later did a five-hour master class with students. And it's so powerful when these things can happen within the context of art practice, not just thinking about art, but actually making art, which we think is very important. That said, I would want to emphasize how important it is to have the background of the surrounding frame for the making of art. Students benefit so much when they are making their art in the courses that they're taking both in art history and in film studies because they're getting all of the aesthetic and historical frame that makes it possible for them to imagine things that they can do themselves and it inspires them and it helps them see what's gone before them. So I think there's a very close relationship between both the study of art and the practice of art and that's something that we feel is very important in all of our programs. So I just wanted to give you that very quick overview before we start our discussion and let you know that this program is growing and you'll be hearing more from us. Thank you. Okay, let me open the floor up for any uh, questions or comments or anything you'd like to ask any of our panelists. Hi, I just want to say I, I think this is a really exciting initiative and I think that it has tremendous potential throughout the university and the community and I'm just curious this is kind of a general question I guess to all of you um, what took this so long um, it seems so you know no no-brainer in terms of, of integrating these different disciplines and using the arts and what opportunities do you think this has in a larger context politically for setting kind of national standards in this country for developing the arts, cultivating the arts, having a, a national arts policy that is far more pro-arts and education and, and far more embracing of the things that you're discussing and the exciting opportunities that you're offering the students. So this is easy. It took an engineer to be president. <laughs> I should ask some of my colleagues to contribute. To, to, I think we have programs that have been growing for quite some time. I think the Creative Writing Program has had a long history of, of success at Stanford, but has now embraced more uh, interaction with undergraduates over time. So things. Yeah, I mean, I I loved David's tenant practice. Uh, I think that a lot of arts are in fact. Uh, very diminished by being caught into the separate situation that, that really was the tradition of arts and universities. Um, creative writing program was built very patiently uh, by a number of outstanding directors and the endowments were built. But in the end, those programs infinitely benefit, I think, by the collaborations that the Arts Initiative is really going to uh, you know, I should very quickly, just in, in one sentence, say what Chris enabled us to do. We, 
went to lunch uh, last year. Toby Walton and myself went to lunch with some people. It took us about, you know, six months. Uh, six months, but about 45 seconds at lunch. What we do is Chris uh, has her film students, selects them, uh, and they come over to creative writing where our Jones lecturers provide eligibility for the screenwriting course by taking them into 90 and 190 in creative writing where they learn some craft and dialogue and narrative skills. Then they go back to Chris. And you know, it's an infinite benefit to creative writing to start this exciting conversation in our workshops about other dimensions of visuals. And it, it didn't take a second to do it, but I think it took the ethos of collaboration to make it possible. Can you say something about uh, what took so long? It did take a long time. But you know, I think that's, in a sense, a benefit in that we can see what's been going on around the country and take a look at some of the other programs. Um, my colleagues, Scott Buchapman, Pablo Levy, Jan Kravitz, and myself, along with other faculty, um, worked really hard to craft a curriculum based on what we saw at other schools and what we thought was important. And I think that we feel the better for it. And hopefully, the students who are actually flocking to us, I think, feel the same way. We're getting a lot of really good feedback. In terms of uh, setting a model for arts education, I mean, I think that it, it will, a lot will depend on where we are. I mean, I know it's very hard to raise money for a new building, but one of the hardships of being annexed here and, and off here, and your office is here, and you run over to art four times a day, I mean, it's, it's hard to be separated. And it's hard, I mean, I, I only rarely see a van, and that's, that's difficult. I never see David, he's halfway across the campus. And so, you know, it, it is hard to make all that happen. But I think that Stanford's really showing a commitment to try to explore new ways to do that. So I, I'm hopeful. One of the things I think that's interesting is, um, I've been, I have a lot of advisees. I like, I think advising is one of the, where I, I enjoy the most and have the most impact, probably. And uh, my advisees uh, recently, within the last, let's say, five years, are very much interested, much more interested in this. So I just, see, I don't actually care what the projects are they work on. I'm trying to teach them methodologies. So if they, whatever they want to do, you know, and not that many years ago, they all wanted to be Bill Gates, but, uh, but not anymore. Uh, and so the arts initiative is a, is a very good fit for what the students are interested in. And so I think for us, the combination of being the different ways of thinking being linked to innovation in the whole world going nuts about how we have to be more innovative helps. But, um, but I also think that the students uh, very much want to have these kind of life experiences in this particular time with this particular generation. Uh, uh, this is perhaps mostly a question for, for John. Um, I, I want the arts as well in drama, and one of the things about drama is also obviously the case of the team taught courses, and certainly in film, there's something uh, inefficient about it in the sense that it takes a lot of people doing uh, working slowly, as Chris said, painstakingly uh, along a collaborative effort, and this is slightly at odds with some aspects of you know the way universities try to maximize production in a certain sense. So what I'm really asking, I guess, is I hope the university's commitment to the arts will include a recognition that there is something about the way arts gets done that is sometimes at odds with the solitary research-based uh, work that happens in at least some aspects of humanities. Uh, certainly, Rush, and I think perhaps that's a, another answer to the first question. Um, 
all things in time as the resources of the university allow them, I think. And if you think about the what we did in undergraduate education, adding hundreds of freshmen and sophomore seminars was not a way to improve productivity if it's measured by how many, how many students are sitting in the classroom in front of a faculty member. But if you measure by a quality standard, I think it is a way to have a dramatic uh, impact on the quality of the educational experiment. I think exactly the same thing applies in the arts. David talked about the challenges of having students working together, having faculty work together in that classroom. Obviously, that's less efficient. But I think perhaps that gets back to the core thing. This is something we can afford to do that we, I think, if we have a great vision, we can find the sources of support for it and we can include it as part of what we do at the university. Um, it does take me just a little longer to talk. Well, patience. Um, so you said that art was a way to find a creative contemplative pause in things. Is there a way or is there a need to take that pause and then in, in start that quiet contemplation into disciplines that are not fundamentally artistic, like mechanical engineering, or like E, or things like that. Well, I can, can we just say exactly so, that absolutely, and you can't really measure it, I think, in um, an easy way, but I believe that students who involve themselves in creative activities in the arts will find that rippling out into everything else that they're doing, whether they've taken that creative step in design or in writing or in the visual arts or in drama or in music. I think there is, is a way that that just feeds back in as a loop and it, it, there's no way that it cannot have an effect in every other aspect of their studies and that's one of the reasons that arts are so vital to the university community. I mean, I think that's that's crucial. Just to, to pick up, I mean, I think it's a very interesting question. That in, in fact, what's often stressful in universities is not the conversation between the arts, but the conversations between the arts and the other side of the university. And that means that conversation can be stressful within the life of one student. So if you, in some way, make a very legitimate place for both conversations to be honored with both of their uh, values. That's one of the, the great contributions that the Arts Initiative, I think, can make, that Stanford students will have two available sets of values or multi-values and begin to, to traffic between the two. 
Yeah, I wonder if we should have like a slow food movement, you know. Uh, <laughs> as Eric, in his lovely speech, brought up about, well, I think the biggest problem that I see among my colleagues is this no time to do the important things. You know, I don't know about you, but I have a to-do list that has all my strategic things on one side and has all my tactical things on the other side, right? And I kind of never get to the strategic ones somehow. And I think that um, the experience of making something with your hands or uh, thinking in a way that, that an artist thinks, so that kind of zen feeling of being in the moment of, of creating is a way that you can get the brief um, respite from the kind of busy-itis that we all seem to have. And so maybe if, we, if the program with the arts is it, give, it gives you a taste of that, you'll find the time to do that more, or to do the thing that you love more. That's what we're really talking about is, for me, is the stuff that you feel in your gut as opposed to the stuff you feel in your head that needs to be done. And that's, that's why I like hanging out with the art department. <laughs> Any other? In regards to business, then, what, how do you, what effect do you see the arts initiative and this radical collaboration in the arts having on the business curriculum and the way that that is a, a real lever for how we affect change with our students moving out of the university situation? Let me just say that the, when we started the new institute, we called it the D School. Don't let him hear, let him hear that. But uh, when we started, <laughs> the most, the, most um, the, the the highest percentage of people applying to take these creative art courses are from the business school. Uh, and the business school uh, is the place where this extreme affordability classes go, got started. And so um, I, I think the this balance, you know, I always draw the diagram for my students, which is a horizontal line with a heart and a dollar sign with a fulcrum underneath it all the time. And I do think that the business school students, if you look at the number of, of uh, social entrepreneurship startups that are in the business school, it's extreme compared to when I was taking classes over there as a student. And so I think that um, uh, this, the business school students want to, the want to have this experience that I just talked about in, in an extreme way. I mean, uh, I'm certainly not against business, but I mean, it's more barbaric than what we uh, experience in the art department, and I think that's a, that's a needed, it's like, again, like slow food. I mean, I'll bet, I'll bet you business people have more cathartic experience when going in and have slow, have the slow food experience than, you know, priests and painters and <laughs> professors. You know, I, I think we can put this all in the context of a growing realization of the importance of building people's skills as creative thinkers, an importance of innovation, an importance of stimulating imaginative thinking, and the importance of it in our increasingly complex, fast-paced The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.